episode 11, improve your relationship by owning your words. This is the Expat Mom Podcast, a podcast for expat moms around the world who want to feel better and improve their emotional health as they navigate the unique challenges of living and mothering abroad. I'm your host, Jenny Linton. I'm a certified life coach, a mom to four daughters, and married to a U.S. diplomat. I've lived in six countries on four continents. I know what it's like to feel stuck emotionally, and I know how to get unstuck. I'm excited to share with you some tools to help you feel less discouraged, improve your relationships, and increase your confidence. Welcome back to the podcast. I want to thank everyone who has left a review. Reviews really help new podcasts grow. If you enjoy listening, I'd love you to take 30 seconds and write something you've enjoyed learning on your review. Thank you so much. Today, we're going to talk about how to improve your relationship by owning your words. The number one topic I coach on is relationships, mother-child relationships, marriages, difficult relationships with bosses, colleagues, friends, and extended family members. This is actually one of my favorite topics to focus on because relationships are such a huge part of our emotional health. They're the source of a lot of our meaning and purpose and love. They're sort of like the background music of our lives. When our relationships are going well, we often feel pretty good. And when they aren't, we feel disharmonious. There are so many fantastic tools and perspective shifts we will be discussing related to relationships. Today, I'm just going to share one tool with you about how to communicate in a way where you can say what you mean and mean what you say. Whether we're talking about a spouse-to-spouse relationship, a parent-child relationship, a coworker-to-coworker, there are a lot of important things to consider to avoid miscommunicating. When we add the dynamic of communicating with someone from a different culture, with different ideas and different perceptions about what words mean, about what gestures and intonation might signal, there is an even higher likelihood of miscommunication. Since many of us expat moms do this on a day-to-day basis, whether at work or in our marriages or in our lives with friends at school, shopping, etc., understanding how to communicate what we mean is even more important when we are talking with someone from a different culture. I will address this unique challenge as well. I'd like to introduce the tool that we'll be covering today with a story that happened in our family. One time, our family was planning to take a trip to New York. We told our kids that we could attend a Broadway show together. Not surprisingly, some of our girls disagreed about whether to go to Frozen or Lion King. In an effort to be a peacemaker, one of my daughters who wanted to go to Lion King said she was fine going to Frozen. We had a wonderful time at Frozen, but afterwards that same daughter was scowling. I asked her what was wrong, and she said that she was mad that we had gone to Frozen and not to Lion King. I was surprised because after our initial conversation about it, she hadn't said anything that let me know she was frustrated. I mentioned this to her. She said she had wanted to be a peacemaker, and so she had agreed to go to Frozen, but she had also hoped that we would notice that she didn't want to go, and she had hoped that we would change our minds. In other words, she was expecting us to act on her feelings, not on what she said. She had wanted the benefit of acting in a certain way, but not living up to her words. Of course, my daughter is just learning how to navigate the complicated world. I think she's amazing trying to voice her feelings and figure out how to rectify competing feelings and desires. I do not expect her to have this all figured out perfectly. But this incident reminded me about some excellent advice my parents gave my husband and I before we got married. The advice was, own your words. 
They explained that we often say things but expect others to know that we mean something different than what we actually said. This causes all sorts of miscommunication, frustration, confusion, blame, resentment, and other problems. For example, my daughter said she was fine going to Frozen, but she expected me to know that she wasn't okay with it. Here are a few examples of common ways that we might not own our words. Example number one, our spouse asks how we are at the end of the day. We might say fine, but in a discouraged way that indicates that we hope they will notice our tone of voice and draw us out. Maybe we hope they'll ask us more questions or they'll help around the house. But when we say fine, our spouse says, okay, and gets busy doing something else. We might feel disappointed. Our words do not match what we expect. This is not owning our words. Example number two, someone hurts our feelings. When they ask for forgiveness, we might say, it's okay. But then we still feel angry at them and we complain to others about it. Our words do not match what we said. We are not owning our words. Example number three, a friend asks where we want to go to lunch. We might say, wherever, but we secretly hate Italian food. When they suggest going to Italian, we might feel irritated. We did have preferences about where to go. Our words did not match our true feelings. We are not owning our words. Studies show that only about 18% of the population is willing to be assertive and deal with things head on. However, some of these people thrive in conflict and don't care what others think. Or maybe they even like ruffling feathers. Sometimes they offend others. The remaining 82% of the population tries to avoid conflict. They tolerate things they don't like, and this does not help address issues. In many cultures, they value niceness over truth. But is that really helpful? When we don't own our words, we are essentially lying. We want to look like a nice person, but we want to keep the indulgent emotions that we feel. This puts the other person in a tricky position, not having known in the first place what we meant because we said something different. Then we're frustrated with them for not knowing, and they may feel defensive or may feel like they can't really trust us or read us. Not owning our words is a recipe for resentment. Resentment can slowly destroy relationships. It's often much more precarious than just expressing our true feelings in the moment. Not owning our words can look nice on the outside. We get credit for being kind or thoughtful, but our motives and feelings do not back up our words. This incongruity causes us to feel uncomfortable. In order to rectify the situation, we often blame the other person for not knowing what we really meant. We think they should have acted on what we meant and not what we said. Again, this causes division in our relationships. There are two basic ways to rectify this situation or two basic ways to actually own our words. The first one is really simple. It's just to be honest. Expressing how we really feel in the moment can feel a bit uncomfortable in the moment because the other person might not like what we say. However, when we don't say how we feel, we are the ones who feel uncomfortable. At first, it can be easy to justify that we would rather be the ones to feel uncomfortable than make someone else feel uncomfortable. We may not want to deal with the conflict that can come from others' disappointment or irritation. However, we are not the only ones affected by our dishonesty. Over time, resentment eats away at our relationships with others. Other people are astute interpreters. They can feel our resentment, even if we think we're good at covering it up. Honesty is always the best policy. This doesn't mean we have to be rude or critical or insensitive, just honest. 
Let's go back to the three examples we mentioned earlier and see how this first principle of being honest might apply. When your spouse asks how you are, rather than expecting them to translate your tone from saying, fine, being honest could look like saying something like, thank you so much for asking. I had a really difficult day. I could really use a hug and a listening ear. Being honest with our intent allows others to know what we mean and what we want. Then they can better respond. This doesn't mean they will always respond how we wish they would, but it does mean that there's a higher likelihood of it since we have communicated directly. Sometimes moms say, yeah, but if I ask directly for what I want, it takes away some of the meaning because my spouse or the other person didn't think of it themselves. While I can understand this way of thinking, I love to offer an alternative perspective. It also takes a lot of love and humility to respond to a request too. In fact, often it can even create more connection when we ask directly and receive because we are loved in the way that we hope, rather than in the way the person might be inclined to try to help. When someone asks for forgiveness and we aren't feeling quite ready to forgive, we could say, thank you so much for your apology. It really means a lot to me. I need a little bit of time to think about this. Could we talk again in a few days? Although an honest response might not be what the other person is hoping for, Often, our honesty builds credibility and people learn that they can trust us to be honest. Dishonesty, even when it's dressed in kind words, is confusing and frustrating. Example number three. When your friend asks you where you want to go to lunch and you know you don't like Italian food, you could say, gosh, I really don't care for Italian, but I'm okay with anything else. Or you could be direct and say, I'm really feeling in the mood for Thai food. What about you? Sometimes we may think that not stating an opinion makes us easier to be with, but often having an opinion can make us easier and more fun to be with. It can make it quicker to make decisions because we aren't trying to wonder if the other person is really saying what they mean. And people with opinions are a lot of fun. It's fun to please people. When I know someone loves a certain type of food, it's fun to go to that type of food with them. And if I know someone hates a certain type of food, it's no problem to avoid that. And if there's disagreement, it's much easier to resolve the disagreement when people just express their honest opinions rather than acting like everything is fine. So in summary, the first way that we can own our words in order to say what we mean and mean what we say is simply to be honest. The second way to rectify the discrepancy between what we want to say and what we expect is to live into our words. If we say something, but we mean something different, and we find ourselves starting to blame others for not knowing what we meant, we can stop. Instead of blaming the other person, instead we can recognize that we are responsible for the outcome. Let's take each of our three examples and see how we might be able to apply this principle of living into our words. When our spouse asks us how we're doing and we say, fine, when we really aren't, We may feel resentful if our spouse gets busy doing something else and we were hoping they would notice our discouragement and ask more. We can live into our words by acknowledging that we said fine. It's a fair expectation that they might take our words at face value. We can decide that we really are fine if we want to. Or we can go back to our spouse and say, you know, you were so sweet to ask about my day. Actually, it was really hard and I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I would love a hug but we need to own the responsibility for saying fine and not just expect that the other person will know that we're feeling and what we want. When we own our words, 
We may feel disappointment, but we don't feel resentment towards the person because we accept responsibility for what we said. Disappointment is better than resentment. In example number two, when someone apologizes and asks for forgiveness, but we're not quite ready to forgive, and we might say, it's okay, we could live into our words by choosing to forgive. We probably chose to say, it's okay, because we want to be the type of person who is forgiving, or at least look like a person who is forgiving. If that really is important to us, more important than having time or getting more information before we forgive, then we need to own that. It's disingenuous to say you forgive someone and not do it. When we catch ourselves in discrepancy with how we feel and what we've said, we can live into our words by asking ourselves, how can I get to forgiveness? Owning our words can help us recognize when we have a discrepancy between how we feel and how we're acting. In fact, as we learn to live into our words, it can help us evolve into being the type of person we want to be because we pressure ourselves to live up to who we profess to be. In example number three, when you tell your friend you're okay going wherever for lunch and then she suggests a place you don't really like, you could live into your words. Maybe you said that you are fine going anywhere because you want to be an easygoing type of person. If you decide that that is more important to you than going to a place that you like, you could live into your words by recognizing that you signed up for that when you said, I'm fine going anywhere. Again, we might feel disappointed, but when we take responsibility, we won't feel resentful because we're not blaming our friend for not knowing what we meant, but didn't say, and we pressure ourselves to learn how to be more easygoing. Living into our words would look like in this situation, just going to the Italian restaurant. Now, owning our words can also mean going back and being honest with our words. At this point, we could correct what we meant. We could say, hey, I know I said I was fine with anywhere, but actually I'm not a fan of Italian food. The more we live into our words, the more likely we are to be honest the next time. When we have to accept responsibility for our own words, become, we become much more likely to share how we really feel. So let's talk about owning our words in an intercultural communication context. You can imagine how this issue of saying what we mean and meaning what we say can be compounded when we add the element of intercultural communication. I might say something, but mean something different and expect the other person to pick up on my tone of voice or by my gestures. But different cultures interpret tones of voice and gestures and other nonverbal communication differently. So you can imagine how this compounds the problem of trying to communicate what we mean and mean what we say when we don't use the words that actually represent our meaning. One time, I said something with a sarcastic tone of voice, expecting the other person who was from a different country to know what I was saying was actually the opposite of what I really meant. But the other person whose culture does not use sarcasm very often did not pick up on my tone or my intent. They took what I said at face value. As I realized this, I had to backpedal and explain what I actually meant. It made for a very confusing exchange. In intercultural settings, as the likelihood of miscommunication is even higher, it's even more important to own your words. Say directly what you really mean and mean what you say. In intercultural settings, it's also important not to rely on gestures or tone of inflection in order to communicate meaning. 
This is challenging because studies show that 60 to 98% of communication is nonverbal, and each culture has unique ways of communicating nonverbally. So it can be easy to convey something different than you mean if you aren't making a concerted effort to understand. For example, when I traveled to India, I asked a storekeeper for something and I found they kept bobbing their head from side to side. In my culture, this conveys, I'm restless and impatient for you to finish, or I don't really care. I felt a bit awkward and I tried to finish what I was saying really quickly. But then his response to me was very calm and relaxed, which was really confusing. After being there in India a bit longer, I realized that head bobbing is actually a really common way that people show their listening. The truth is, the shopkeeper probably thought I was rude for not bobbing my head while he was talking to me. Understanding cultural nonverbal cues by being observant, by studying ahead of time, or even asking the person directly what they mean can be an important way that we communicate and we're able to express what we mean and mean what we say in intercultural settings. We can own our words by using nonverbal cues that match our words. In summary, today we've talked about one key to improving your relationships, which is owning your words. The first way we talked about doing this is being honest. It's using words to express what you mean, not saying one thing, but expecting something different. We also discussed that when you say something you don't mean, you can decide to take responsibility for your words, either by living into them or by correcting them. Nonverbal communication is also an important part of owning our words, especially in intercultural settings. We don't want to say one thing with our inflection or gestures and say something different with our words. As we pay more attention and try to say what we mean and mean what we say, we can avoid a lot of frustration, resentment, miscommunication, and confusion. Let's circle back to the story I shared about my daughter at the beginning of the podcast. Let me tell you what happened. After the play, as we walked around Times Square, my daughter felt resentful at our family. She was grumpy and she complained. Quite honestly, it was really frustrating for the rest of us. As I thought back to her original desires, which were to be a peacemaker and to go to Lion King, it was ironic that in the end, she didn't get either of the things she really wanted. She definitely wasn't very peaceful to be with that afternoon as we were sightseeing. And she also didn't get to see the play that she wanted. This is often true when we don't own our words. We think we're tricking the system and we're getting away with saying one thing, but meaning another or being something different. But in the end, we don't get either of the things that we want. Over time, when these behaviors of not owning our words are repeated, it erodes our relationships. As we own our words, we find that we have more mastery of ourselves and we build trust with others. We also find that we actually feel more connected to others when we're honest with them and take responsibility for what we say. If you'd like help working on a relationship in your life, I'd love you to sign up for a free 30-minute mini session on my website. You can find the link in the show notes below. Relationships are so important, they're really worth the time to understand them better and learn how to improve them. If you know someone who might enjoy learning more about relationships, please send this episode along. I'm so thankful for the tools that I've learned because they've blessed my life and relationships so much. I'd love to share them with as many people as possible. Have a wonderful week. If you'd like help applying the tools you're learning on this podcast, sign up for a free private 30 minute mini coaching session on any topic you'd like help on. You can schedule it on my website, theexpatmom.com forward slash schedule. Also, 
If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.